Love the control. Love the command. Love the spacebar and the hard return. Love the words from East Leeds FM. Hello and welcome to Love the Words here on East Leeds Community Radio at Chapel FM Arts Centre in Studio One. It's nice to be coming live to you today. We've got a full building here at Chapel FM Arts Centre. We've had a group from Holland, from the Netherlands, all day visiting with with the Youth Association. Young people from Holland, youth organisers, arts activists. It's been lovely. So, And we've also had a group from Mencap as well, making a broadcast. But now uh, we have uh, yeah full programme for you. Uh, first of all, we've got um, a piece of writing that was done by Mally and Phil Harvey. I don't think they would mind me saying that they were older people. They are. They've been married for many years and they're performing. And Mally has written this really beautiful piece we're about to hear now called A Difficult Conversation. After that, we're going to be hearing a live uh, a live interview with the poet and performer Rose Kondo talking about her new show, which sounds brilliant, How to Starve an Artist. And after that, we'll be hearing another piece from writing on air called Ravi, A Tale of Two Punjabs by Jaspreet Manda. But first of all, a difficult conversation from Phil and Mally Harvey. Round Hay Park is lovely at this time of year, isn't it? No, it's lovely at any time of the year. We're lucky to have it. Another sandwich or, or a piece of your delicious cake? Thanks, I've had enough. But you help yourself. I'm fine. I'll pack up then, shall I? Oh, my Lord, would you look at that? What? What am I missing? Don't stare. Well, you told me to look. Did you see what she had written on her T-shirt? I love Bush. The pussy, not the president. Pat! Never tried it myself. Pussy, I mean. I think for me, testicles are besticles. <laughs> I missed it. You are on form. She must have been an American. Oh, oh well, it takes all sorts. David? Mm, you're not suggesting? No! No! But, but are we missing something? Oh, I don't think so. What do you mean? We need to have a conversation. Well, I don't think that'll be a problem. We've never stopped talking since we got together six months ago. So, go on then. Here, you've got some chunks of crumbs stuck to your face. Let me wipe them. There, that's better. What were you going to say? This is different. It's more difficult. Come on, Pat. 
in the six months since we got together, you've never had any difficulty talking before. We've talked about everything. Selling our homes, finding one another, arranging our finances, our wills, so all our kids benefit, future plans. So what else is there to talk about? Hell, I've met your sister and survived. Oh, she's not so bad. Not so bad? She made the Spanish Inquisition look like a walk in the park. Well... So? Well... Come on, you never have any trouble telling me what you think. I know, but this is more awkward. It... it... And? It's about the intimate side of our relationship. Well, I'm not sure what you mean. Oh, you do, you do. Don't make it any more difficult than it is. I'm not. I'm just trying to understand what you mean. It's... it's... So, what is it? Well, we've never undressed in front of each other or gone to bed together. No, we haven't. But presumably you did with Doug. So what's the problem? Well, that was different. We were young together and we had all the beauty of youth. We aged together and we haven't had that, you and I. We're 73 years old and the signs of the lives we have lived are writ large on our bodies. Nothing fits in the right place. I can't imagine undressing in front of you. I wish I was young, but I'm not. And neither am I. Young, I mean. It's the same for me. All my bits hang a great deal lower than they used to. I've been fatter and now there's the evidence of where I've lost weight. It's no different for me. It's different for a woman. I don't see how. It is. It's just different. I wish it wasn't. Mm -hmm. We just have to make the best of what we've got. Are you saying we have to strip off and look at each other? No! It's more than that. That's only the beginning. There's all the other stuff. Do you mean sex? Yes. But it's more than sex. Sex sounds so wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Well, all right then, making love. Yes, that, that's what I mean. We can do that. I know, but there are... Well, there could be difficulties. Well, OK, let me start. I'm not sure that I can do anything since the surgeon worked on my prostate, so we're stalled at the first jump. Oh, not sure that was quite the right word, but you know what I mean. Yes, I do. And as we're trying to be frank, I'm not sure about... Um, well, full, full, you know, in, intercourse. Changes happen to a woman as she gets older. I've had three children, so apart from not being... Well, not being as supple as when I was younger, there's hormones. I don't think things down there are quite as organised as they should be. I think you're making this more difficult than it need be. Why don't we go to bed? Take our clothes off in the dark, if you want, and feel our way. Oh, sorry, wrong words again. I mean, just a step at a time. We know each other well enough for that. We can trust each other to arrive at something that suits us both, surely. I don't want to enter into something... Even that doesn't sound right. Well, I've thought about it and I wanted to broach it, but... There now. You see why it was difficult for me? You say we have talked about every other thing. Why didn't you talk about that? I've been worrying about it. Well, we're all talking about it now. 
Um. Hmm. Are you suggesting we go to bed and see what happens? Well, yes. I love you and I want to be with you. There are things we can enjoy in an intimate relationship that don't involve erections and penetration. So let's see. Okay. Do we make a date then to to do it? Gosh, no. That seems far too contrived. Let's have a glass or two of wine tonight and see what happens. Did your parents ever talk about sex? Good Lord, no. A good Methodist that my dad was, the mere mention of sex had him running for his shed. <laughs> <laughs> Sharing the night together.
expensive ketchups with it. That's right, all the fanciest ke- Dijon ketchup. Mm. <laughs> So that was the Bare Naked Ladies, a track chosen by our guest this afternoon. I love the words, the poet and performer, Rose Kondo. Hello, Rose. Hello, how are you? I'm fine, thank you very much. Nice to hear you again. You, yes, and you. Yeah, you were here on this programme a while ago, but I, I, probably five or six years ago. Yeah, it was it was a while ago. I couldn't tell you the year off the top of my head, but yeah. We can go through the programs. Um, but uh, yeah, it's great to have you back. And um, yeah, you're here primarily, although it'd be nice to talk to you about other things, um, to talk about your your show, How to Starve an Artist, which is on at Wakefield Theatre Royal very soon. You can fill us on, in on the exact uh, date and how to get tickets. But yeah, sure. Rose, first of all, just give us a bit of background about you and 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 what you do, and then we'll talk about the show. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, Well, as you can hear, I don't have a Yorkshire accent, so I originally hail from Canada, um, and I've got a background in theatre and performance, but it was when I moved to the UK over 20 years ago that I uh, got a little bit more interested in poetry. So I'm now um, a poet and performer and writer, and I'm really fortunate that I've been able to create some spoken word theatre shows that I have taken around the country and performed internationally. Um, and really, really enjoy using spoken word to engage audiences and to have a bit of silliness and fun and whimsy in it as well. This one sounds particularly interesting, but you've got a whole uh, list of various awards, nominations and and so on. But uh, you you must, yeah, you do get around. But this one came second in, in, which, which, in, in Edinburgh. This actually was runner-up's best spoken word show at the Saboteur Awards in London in uh, 2017. But I did perform it at the Edinburgh Fringe and um, have taken it to the Winnipeg Fringe in Canada and performed all over the UK with it. Fantastic. Well, tell us tell us a bit about this show. Sure. Yeah, I actually created it a few years ago. Um, and it came out of this idea that I was speaking to... Uh, creative people, friends, um, you know, other fellow poets, and kept hearing this comment about people not feeling like they had time to devote to their creativity or to do the things that they really wanted to do creatively. And I just imagined that in our midst, we were just 
surrounded by these artists who had uh, art history starved out of their days. And whether you call yourself an artist or not, I just felt like there was this real challenge to, to find and make that time in our lives. So I created the show then, took it up to Edinburgh, it really resonated with people. Um, and then I, I kind of put it away for a little while. I got busy with other shows. And more recently, I've brought it back out again because I feel like we're in a time when post-pandemic, um, we're in a really tricky time. And um, this show really intentionally carves out some space for audiences to come and listen to some poetry, um, to have some snacks and make sandwiches while I perform, but to really be invited to think about their own creative selves um, and how they might try to incorporate a little bit more creativity into their days. Um, and so I think that's why it's been um, kind of going on tour, people are really responding to it. In, in a time where things are really challenging environmentally and politically and economically, that the, the idea of spending a bit of time to be creative almost seems like, like impossible to imagine. And this show really tries to encourage, you know, spending, spending a bit of time in your day, um, whether that is staring at a window and letting your imagination go or sitting down to write or doodle. Um, it's really thinking about the fact that there are ways that all of us can be creative and it can really feed into our mental health in lots of really important ways. It's interesting that you mentioned that you're talking to artists about uh, about their work and that the artists not finding enough time within <laughs> their lives to, to do what they do. I mean, I totally relate to that because artists do all kinds of other things uh, too. But if artists don't find the time to do that, what about the people who aren't or don't necessarily identify as artists, people who have <clears throat> other <laughs> more normal and profitable jobs? Uh, <laughs> how, 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 how do you people, uh, yeah, well, what's it'd be great? To, have you got anything from the show that you could maybe give us now as a, as a taster? Sure, yeah. I thought I might share with you actually um, something towards the end of the opening poem, which is where the show gets its title. It's called How to Starve an Artist. And in this, I, I kind of propose this idea, this, this plan for starving artists. And I talk about, you know, how we can focus on, on, on um, starvation for artists who identify as artists, starvation for artists as kids, starving artists who have schools. And then the final section of the, um, the poem goes like this. So this technique is effective for artists whose craft is public and overt, but be aware of closeted creatives whose contributions are covert. Those who don't identify as artists, but have deep hidden desires to one day create a masterpiece, snuff out those creative fires. Start out discreetly, scatter self-doubt seeds, then let their self-doubt grow wild and unchecked like weeds. Then force them to feed on the self-doubt crop that grows a cornucopia of ants, a hearty harvest of no's. Serve up statements like, it's all been done before by smarter, better people whose efforts mattered more. This should quell their cravings, force them to realize their voices have no value, they needn't even try. And by following this action plan, soon all lands and nations will be free from these creatives killed off by starvation, will have order, obedience, and unchallenged control through and through. This is how our world could look. My friends, it's up to you. Great stuff. Yes, I mean, I've been thinking 
a lot about this recently, Rose, uh, and reading about this. And, uh, you know, the whole link these days, which is kind of maybe some of us have, have been aware of people who work in this field, like yourself and, mm. and like us here at Chapel FM, the link between arts and doing art mm-hmm. and mental health and well-being. You know, I think it seems to be far more prominent these days. And I loved, I loved in the poem the way you talked about the kind of lack of permission people feel to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was reading, uh, Seamus Heaney had uh, talked about mm-hmm. the poet um, showing uh, the poet's job was to show the right, right of way that we all have, you know, mm-hmm. the right of way to to whole aspects of human experience or whole range of human experience, but also the right of way to, to creating it. Um, yeah, yeah, any any more to say about that? Absolutely. I mean, it made me think about how um, when when the pandemic happened and we were all in lockdown, what I noticed, and I imagine this is the same for a lot of people, was that suddenly there was offer after offer on social media in my inbox for creative ways to be engaged at home, discounts mm. on masterclass, you know, classes online, kits that you could order to color to do these creative things. And it suddenly was really apparent that, that there was this sense of that's one way that we can manage this craziness is to sustain some creativity in our lives. And it made me think, on the one hand, great, because I think that we did really need that as a coping mechanism. But we still do. <laughs> we still need that. Perhaps not quite with the same urgency. But I think there is, I like that idea of the permission giving, that there yeah. is huge value in it. Yes, and I mean, I, I tend to think of that in terms of within all of us, even artists or self-identified artists, there is a, sort of the gatekeeper. I call it. It's almost this sort of receptionist character who goes, "Oh no, you can't do that. You can't go there. Have you got a permit? Have you got a certificate? Right. Or have you got the right to do this? Do you, do people really want to hear this? Stuff? You know, there's the sort of the gatekeeper inside us all that is sort of like, nah, not you, not you." Yeah. Uh, and I think um, you know, it's it's if that's the case for many of many of us who sort of work in the arts, it must be so, it is so hard, I think, for people who've never done it before. But at the same time, as you quite rightly say, uh, suddenly during the pandemic, everyone was going, yeah, well, it seemed everybody was going, I'm, I'm doing this at home, I'm writing a poem, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, painting a picture a day. And do you think, mm-hmm. um, do, you, do you think your your piece, How to Starve an Artist, um, sort of rides that, that wave? Do you think it is still continuing that momentum? Yeah, I do. I really do. But I think it's maybe not always completely conscious for people, but um, that that there is, I think, taking that time and space out of the busyness of the grind of the day to day and stop and think about it. I think it might hit people and, and go, gosh, what what did it mean when I did have nothing but time? You know, those who were able to be at home um, and and, you know, had a lot of time on their hands. That, that those creative pursuits came to light. Um, and yet, I also think now, because we are in a time when, when mental health and well-being is is really, really tricky for a lot of people, um, it, it continues to be a, a really vital tool. Um, and I, I do find, you know, I do creative writing workshops um, quite often, and sometimes they will be for people who have never considered writing a poem ever, maybe since they were in school and they're now, you know, professionals, adults, this kind of thing. And we'll do really simple exercises of writing a rhyming couplet and 
how much resistance there can be to that at first to, mm. to sort of think I, I don't identify this way i'm not an artist i'm not a creative and you know 15 minutes later they'll have written a short poem about how great they are at making toast and <laughs> it's these moments of discovery where it might not be anything they continue but that moment in their day brought them that bit of joy that bit of creative manifestation and sometimes maybe that's just enough Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I do a writing group. I run a writing group here on a Wednesday tomorrow, and we've got eighteen people coming to that. And uh, you know, it's it's a space, as I say, it's a space to come and do some writing. You know, because mm. the you, it's so hard to carve out, and actually to award ourselves some space in the rest mm. of the week. It's something about you, you know, yeah, going. It's fine. I'm, I'm I'm okay to do it. I'm not wasting time. I'm not. You know, we live in such such stupid Protestant work ethic kind of uh, world we live in, a culture <laughs> where we have to be productive in a certain way. And yeah, so it, it. I think it really means a lot to the people who come just to have that little space every week to do mm -hmm. that. Um, so I mean, Rose, how to starve an artist? That's an interesting one. I mean, you know. Uh, are you talking about sort of creative starvation or actual economic starvation? That's an interesting title. Yeah, it was a, a title that, that hit me and I kind of went, oh, I, I really like that. But I had to unpick it a little bit as mm. I created the show. Um, because I think in, for the most part, it is about creative nourishment that, that sometimes, you know, being involved in a really creative project can feel like you've had a really good meal. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and uh and there, I do touch on on the the, the issues of, of lack of abundance yeah. as well in the show. So there is a poem um, that I share about um, uh, the housing crisis and, and the fact that there are many people in our midst without housing, um, and that you know there are those who sit empty of nourishment and connection, and that that is really important to pay attention to as well. Um, yes, go on. Go on. Yeah, no, and then, and then I was going to say, you know, I thought in creating a show about creative nourishment, what about doing actual nourishment? Mm. And that's where the idea of making food came from. Um, and I mean, I do really love sharing food with people. And to be honest, when I originally developed the show, I wanted to make a pot of soup during the show. Uh, I wanted to have a big pot on stage over a camping stove putting veggies and all sorts of things and let it just simmer away while I performed and then share it with everybody at the end. And when I explain this to the, um, the, the um, uh, spoken word uh, artistic director for PDH Refringe in Edinburgh, he was like, no, that's crazy. <laughs> You're in a fringe venue. Like, that's so unsafe. There's, you know, there's no way that that's going to be able to happen. But is there another idea you can come up with? So that's why I make sandwiches in the show instead. Sandwiches are good. Yeah, that's fine. Um, in, but it's also the how to starve an artist. I mean, I think you know, obviously, just impl impl implicit in that title is a kind of starvation of the arts, really. That yes. we're, we're alluding to there, aren't? Well, mm -hmm. I feel you are, and we we can't not talk about. It. I mean, you know, the we work. I work in social arts, community arts. That's what we do here at Chapel FM. Mm -hmm. You know, we involve local people. It's kind of marginal within the arts. And mm -hmm. I do worry about funding for our sector, you know, and how sort of, you know, just daily rates for arts, freelance artists in the arts has stayed, you know, just stayed still for years and years and years. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it's, and regardless of, you know, the mainstream arts and, and what, what they get, 
in terms of the Arts Council and so on. So, I mean, I think it's, yeah, great that to allude, to allude to that and to draw attention to it because I think we're under no illusion. Well, it's being very self-congratulatory here, but I think we know that it's important work. Absolutely. And I think you, you touched on something really important, that it's there's there's starvation at different different corners of this as well, that it is within people who identify as artists, within people who maybe don't, but but perhaps know a little bit about the value of creative nourishment, but in education systems and in um, economic scenarios as well, like it just feels like there's this squeeze on it that on the one hand, there is a celebration of artistry and what people can actually achieve. But on the other hand, it is just so incredibly devalued. Um, I've, you know, I've heard of schools who have had to close um, different, you know, like an arts program in a secondary school because there was no take up, but there was perhaps no take up because it wasn't being offered and this kind of perpetuating cycle. And it's just, uh, I mean, this, this is an hour long poetry show that tries to touch on a few of these things, but it is a pretty significant issue in these times. Well, I think it is. And, and the reason that I think some of the reason there's no take up is that the, the arts in primary schools has been cut um you know you have to start very early on you know and uh you know i love working in primary schools but it's hard to do that these days uh and also obviously theater theater and education mm -hmm. that whole sector has been massively um sort of starved actually yeah. into because of the curriculum and there isn't time for that it's not important so subsequently well, how, how can you expect people young people to be sort of demanding the uh, to, to do undergraduate degrees you know in the arts and arts programs so it, it starts from very early on but um rose we'll, we're gonna hear a bit more music that you've chosen first of all why did you choose the bare naked ladies yeah. <laughs> i love well, them well i wanted yeah, they're fantastic. I love that song. I wanted a little bit of Canadian content, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but I think that that song kind of speaks to, you know, if, if we had a million dollars, what would we do? And as an artist, I certainly can think of 10 things off the top of my head that I would do. And I love that they very briefly mentioned food, you know, craft dinner and, uh, and ketchup and stuff <laughs> in, in the song. So, yeah. Great. But, and now we've got a, a, a track by Nation of Two. I don't know them. I'm very ignorant. Tell me, Tell me about them. They're a, a singing duo, and one of them is from Winnipeg, which is the city I'm from in Canada, who's Jessie Havey, and I used to work with her when I when I worked in Winnipeg. Um, they're a brilliant, brilliant um, duo, and this song in particular, um, a lyric or the, the name of it is part of a, a part of a poem that I wrote in my second collection, mm. which is a mashup of songs and lyrics and artists between Winnipeg. Uh, where I'm from, and Salford and Manchester, where my husband is from, and mm -hmm. so I thought that I would include that today. Fantastic. Well, we'll hear the track, and then if you if you don't, if could you if you still got a bit of time to talk? Absolutely. Lovely. Let's hear the track from Nation of Two. my way baby in my 
So you're listening to Love the Words here on East Leeds Community Radio, Chapel FM Art Centre. I'm in Studio One, Elliot's on the desk. We've got Rose Kondo, the poet and performer, on the line. And Rose, yeah, you Canadians, have you've produced some great musicians. I'm thinking of, you know, the Crash Test Dummies and uh, Ron Sexsmith and Joni Mitchell and Bare Nakeds and the Leonard... I mean, that goes on. Neil, <laughs> Neil Young. Yeah. Neil Young, Neil Young, uh, I believe, went to the same high school as me in Winnipeg. Not at the same time, mind you, but yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's quite a legacy of, of musicians from Canada, for sure. And all kind of intelligent uh, thinking lyricists as well, I would say. Um, but anyway, I was going to ask you, um, Rose, about um, another thing I saw on your website, that your head of community at Arts Emergency. Head of Community is a great title anyway. It ranks with Director of Words, which is the title I <laughs> slightly self-mockingly hold here. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, tell us about Arts Emergency and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Arts Emergency is a, a network and charity for young people ages 16 to 25 and it exists to really level the playing field for young people so we work with with those who um, are from underrepresented backgrounds to try to make sure that anybody who wants to work in the arts and cultural industries has a fair start to be working there so we run mentoring for um, young people ages 16 to 18 um, so they meet with a mentor for a year and um, work on identifying goals that they want to achieve and ways they might build their network to be able to work in the arts and, and creative industries. And then when they're 18 to 25, we've got a kind of legacy support um, for those years of other ways that they can connect with other creative professionals um, and build up their networks, try to gain some work experience, um, try to, to chat with other um, professionals in their areas of interest. Um, and I've worked with them since 2018, um, but the organization itself has been around for 10 years. And we work in London, Brighton, Manchester and Merseyside. And uh, yeah, really, really important work to be able to, like I say, level that playing field so that so that anyone who wants to work in the arts is, is able to. That is such a good thing. And I didn't know about arts emergency. Um, do you want to work in Leeds as well? <laughs> 
we would love to. Um, it's we're a small team, and we we do have to fundraise for where we want to, you know, make strides in new communities. But Leeds is definitely on our list of places we're hoping to get to at some point. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm I, I say that in all seriousness, actually, in terms of uh, you know Chapel FM. Again, it's we 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 work a lot with young people. We in, we believe in in bringing people into the arts through their engagement and participation with us but I think you know uh, there is such a it just again that's something that I feel is um, quite dangerous really the idea that that people from certain kind of backgrounds will find it particularly hard to get into the arts at the moment for various reasons actually uh, but uh, yeah so if you'd like to say a bit more about that and, and why you, and yeah what kind of things you actually do Sure. I mean, what you say, you know, that, that fear, it, it, it's, you know, I think without a, a variety of voices in those who are creating arts, we, we lose a lot of those stories. It ends up that the art that's created comes from very specific, you know, often affluent perspective. Yeah. And, and arts is made richer by the diversity of voices of those who create it. Um, so, yeah, to identify the young people that we work with, we work in partnership with secondary schools, um, often who have a high percentage of pupil premium and, um, you know, we, we um, have an eligibility criteria where we identify those who are most in need of our support. And um, it's through those means, as well as some community organizations as well, that, that young people can apply for a mentor with us. And it was quite lovely last week, actually, we, um, we work on a calendar year for our mentorship. So a young person will meet their mentor in January and then meet with them once a month through that calendar year. And we had our introduction event uh, in Manchester at a wonderful bookshop called the House of Books and Friends. Hmm. So we had a number of young people coming to meet their mentor face to face for the first time and a number of mentors coming and both groups were quite nervous <laughs> about, you know, this, this embarking on this uh, experience together. Um, but you could just sense the, the energy and the enthusiasm in the room of the support that was being offered and those that, you know, were suddenly going to have their pathways opened wide up for, for opportunities. Um, so, uh, yeah, we feel really, really excited about it. And, you know, being mindful of the fact that it is as important as it's ever been because there is still so much um, pref uh, pressure and disadvantage um, being faced by people from underrepresented backgrounds. So, yeah, it makes us really committed to the work that we do. Sounds brilliant. And if you want to f find out more about Arts Emergency, I guess there is a website. There sure is, yes. It is arts-emergency.org. Um, and all of the information is on there. Um, we encourage people, no matter where they're based in the UK, to sign up to our network. We have over 9,000 people across the UK who have signed up to the network mm. who um, can help us in a range of ways, whether they you know, apply to be a mentor, um, might donate money to us, or might be available if a young person does want to speak to someone in their particular area of expertise, we try to make those connections happen as well. So, yeah, people can sign up through the, the network link on our website. I just did, actually. Hey! <laughs> About an hour ago. Wonderful stuff. Thanks, Peter. <laughs> no, it's fine. I, I'd love to be involved in it some way. I think it sounds absolutely brilliant, exactly what uh, the arts sector needs. So before we... We just recap on how to starve an artist and how you find tickets and where yeah. where you're going. Just tell us anything you're working on now that you're looking forward to to doing. 
Yeah, absolutely. I uh, released my second poetry collection in September. That was with Manchester's Flapjack Press. It's called How to Find Where You Belong. Um, and it was released uh, on the 20th anniversary of me having first moved to the UK. And it's got lots of poems in it about that sense of belonging. I should say it's called How to Find Where You Belong. And my show is called How to Starve an Artist. It's like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't really. <laughs> I know. I was noticing. I mean, are all your books, uh, are, you know, going to be how-to books? <laughs> These manuals for living life. Yeah, well, they're explorations of ideas, for sure. So I've still got some um, book events uh, with that. So um, I'll be at a few places um, promoting the book. I also run the Huddersfield Literature Festival Poetry Slam, mm. and uh, that is happening um, in April. And we are currently taking applications for the slam um, and would love for people to come along and um, apply. It's uh, a really, really fun you know, night of competitive poetry, mm. but it's, uh, it's, a, it's a lot of fun to take part in. Um, so if people are interested in applying to take part in the slam, it's hudlitfest.org.uk. Brilliant. Uh, thank you. And how, how do we, uh, where do we, yeah, how do we get tickets for uh, How to Starve an Artist and where are you going to be? Yeah, so I'm going to be at Theatre Royal Wakefield on Monday, the 19th of February. Um, so the show starts at 7.30pm. Tickets are on the Theatre Royal Wakefield website, which is theatreroyalwakefield.co.uk. I should say I also have a 10 minute guest performer or a performer doing 10 minute guest spot during the show because I really like to try to engage with local poets anywhere I take the show. So I've got the wonderful Simone Yasmin um, coming along to perform 10 minutes during the show as well. So uh, it's just going to make a hopefully fabulous experience even more rich and nourishing. Um, and tickets are £10. And uh, yeah, you get a little snack, you get a starving artist kit when you come in and it'd be great <laughs> to see people there. I think I'm going to come along, so I'll see you there, Rose. Wonderful to see you. <laughs> Thanks so much for talking to us. Uh, it's been brilliant, and I'm really looking forward uh, to, to seeing the show and to, to yeah, reading your, getting hold of your second poetry collection. Um, but oh you've, God. the final piece, of, oh, no, we've, you've already had that, haven't you? Have you got another piece of music? No, that's, that's cruel. <laughs> <laughs> we're going we're gonna to go straight to a pre-record, Elias, uh, on on. on He's ready to go. Uh, so thank you so much, Rose, for talking to us. And I uh, hope you can come to Chapel FM again and uh, maybe perform How to Starve an Artist here, actually. Oh, wouldn't that be amazing? Thank you so much for the chat, Peter. It's been really nourishing. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, and what we're going to hear now is a piece that was first broadcast as part of Writing on Air 2023, uh, a piece by Jaspreet Manda called Ravi a tale of two Punjabs. Before we go, tune in next week. We've got somebody, Will, from the Book Trust, who've recently moved to Leeds. They're a uh, yeah, fascinating organisation working with young people and children uh, all over the country. <clears throat> They've moved here a lot. And as well, yeah, big organisations are, the British Library, um, the National Poetry Centre. Why do they all come to Leeds? Because it's a fantastic place to be. But yeah, Ravi, a tale of two Punjabs. कदी रावी लंग जावे हयाती पंजाबी बन जावे मैं बेड़ियां हजार तोड़ना 
मैं पानी चो साल छोड़ला Ravi the river of two punjabs The song Ravi was composed a few years ago by Sajjad Ali a Pakistan origin singer poet actor and film director It's been subsequently performed and recorded by many Pakistani and Indian singers available on YouTube Ravi the title and the heart of the song is a river shared between the two provinces of Punjab one Indian and the other Pakistani Ravi flows through the northwest of Indian Punjab for about 90 miles and then enters Pakistan so Ravi flows from one Punjab to the other without the need for a visa which prevents Indian citizens like me from crossing the border and Pakistani citizens from entering the Indian territory. Ravi runs through Lahore, the thriving capital of Punjab, now on the Pakistani side, and further on merges with Chenab, another major river, before pouring herself into the Arabian Sea. Once, the river Ravi was a part of United Punjab, the land of five rivers, including Ravi, a progressive prosperous province of united india before partition before killings and displacement before religious hate and distrust let me try to explain the two punjabs one in india the other in pakistan let us imagine for a moment a line being drawn hurriedly in 1947 between east yorkshire on one side and west yorkshire on the other let us also imagine that this division marks the birth of east and west yorkshire as sovereign independent nations so partition and independence arrived together for india and pakistan with independence came an unimaginable exodus of people Muslims one way Hindus and Sikhs the other at least 10 million people on the most chaotic move from one side to the other for days weeks and months nearly 3 million people never made it having been murdered on the way nobody knows how many women were raped or avoided rape by killing themselves Nobody knows how many women turned into living corpses reliving unspeakable horrors horrendous absurd mindless incomprehensible did it have to happen why did our independence have to be spattered with so much blood this has been the legacy of punjabis on both sides of the border much more than joy we have inherited traumas anguish wounds regrets and tears in addition to these we have inherited many questions but no clear answers 
Sikhs and Hindus in Indian Punjab blamed the Muslim leaders. Muslims in Pakistani Punjab blamed the Indian leaders. Plenty on both sides blamed the British. In this mutual blame game and mudslinging, we forgot to look into ourselves. We all committed appalling acts. We all did most abhorrent things, imaginable and unimaginable. We ceased to be human. Above all, we took pride in our monstrousness. Neither the British colonial masters nor any of the political leaders on either side asked anyone to flee their homes or commit acts of violence against people of other religions and communities. This is something we Punjabis, Sikhs, Hindus, Muslims, did of our own accord. Why did we want to kill and rape? Why did we hate each other so much? We must continue to search our hearts for such seeds of bigotry, hatred, prejudice and intolerance. Whether they are active, dormant or buried deep, we must continue to work on these seeds in our hearts and minds so that mayhems like 1947 do not occur again, ever. Being Punjabis, this is our legacy as well as duty towards both the Punjabs, towards a shared heritage, ourselves and future generations. Failing this, we would have missed history's important lessons. Can we afford that? I think not. Let's return now to the song at hand. Ravi is a song of longing for the river left behind, the river of soothing waters, of tales told and untold. It's a song of companionship and sharing. Equally, Ravi mourns the loss of Punjab, that beloved land of five rivers, a song for what was and never will be again, and yet a cry to be whole, to belong once again to the five rivers. In a word, missing rivers, land and togetherness in both the Punjabs. I'll now read my translation of the song Ravi and then sing it for you in the language it was written in, Punjabi. Ravi If only Ravi were to pass by here, my life to become Punjabi again, I would break a thousand chains, make the waters breathe in me again. If waters run dry in Ravi, my tail too will run out. If there is no soulmate beside me, there won't be any telling too. Melding the river in my eyes, I'll run it over the wounds. If only Ravi were to pass by here, my life to become Punjabi again, I would break a thousand chains, 
make the waters breathe in me again. What is this helpless state? Distance has held off friends. And flowing along the times, how life has come to a close. Leaving the stranger's trail, I'd rather turn the course my way. If only Ravi were to pass by here, my life to become Punjabi again. I would break a thousand chains, make the waters breathe in me again. कदी रावे लंग जावे हयाती पंज आबी बन जावे मैं बेड़ियां हजार तोड़ना मैं पानी चो साल चोड़ना Sun, it's your 